following is a sermon preached at Grace Church of Orange, California. Join us now as we go verse by verse through God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Who has persecuted you or been your enemy? Who has done wrong to you or done evil to you? Does a name or face come to mind? And how did you respond? What did you think? What did you say? What did you do? How has it affected your life? And what kind of person has it made you? Today in Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 21, we are going to see a picture of gracious love where we are never to take our own revenge but leave it up to God. When things happen, our response is very telling. They say that the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Well, the genuineness of our faith is seen in the living. By the mercies of God in Christ, we live differently than we did before we knew Christ. But we are naturally vengeful, are we not? We want to take revenge. We're not naturally gracious. We are retaliatory. We are unmerciful. We are unforgiving. We are ungracious. And sometimes we are unrepentant about it. We are put off by all sorts of things. Small things even. We're put off by noisy neighbors and loud parties and inconvenient doorstep needs. And so we need what Romans 12 has to offer us today. It gives us a vision of the kind of people that Jesus transforms for his glory. A vision of the kind of transformed people that Jesus makes out of yielded worshipers. And so if you're able, I want you to stand with me. I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to read Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21. And we say it often, but this is the word of God. This is authoritative. This is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word. And so we, we bow before God in his word, and we want to obey it. But first, let's hear it. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. I pray, Lord, that, that you would have center stage in our hearts right now and in our assembly, that you would be honored and glorified, that we would trust you and obey you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So I've said this before, but Romans 12, when I was a brand new believer, that was the chapter I read over and over and over again. And I had understood the gospel, and I knew that Jesus had changed my life. And I came to Romans 12, and I remember reading it and going, I'm not like that, I want to be like that. And I just kept reading it over and over again. In Romans 12, we've been seeing... You know, what does it mean to live a transformed life in Christ? What does it mean to live the gospel? And, and this is like real life. This is 
up close and personal. This is the nitty-gritty where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. This is down and dirty, foundational basics of Christian living. And we know chapter 12 started with a very strong appeal. We are to offer ourselves as a sacrifice to God, living, holy, pleasing to God. Uh, It's worship that makes sense. We're not to be conformed to this age. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds where we agree with the will of God, where we do what is good and pleasing to God, and where we're changed by God's word for God's glory. This is what we have seen very clearly, starting in verse 1, that everyone who trusts Christ's sacrifice for sin needs to yield everything to him. And what we, we know to be a fact, if you're a Christian, you know that that needs to take place over and over and over again. This is worship that is logically consistent with God's mercy, that leads to a renewed mind and transformed life, and it, it leads to humility where we see our place in the church and our role and our service in the church in a humble way and where we live the gospel in such a way where it affects our relationships. And it affects our relationships where in the church everyone is to show the same mercy that Jesus has shown them. And we all know there is a transformation in process You didn't just wake up one day and say, wow, I just got saved, now I'm perfect, now I don't sin anymore. No, there's a transformation in process. There are phases of gospel transformation that God is bringing about. And sometimes, don't you feel like you go one step forward, two steps back, and you say, wow, I'm not experiencing the growth that I really want to experience in Christ? But what do you do? You trust Jesus. You go on in Christ. You you trust that he's conforming you to his image and you trust him as he lives in you. And here's something that needs to, to really be stated clearly. And I've said this before in this chapter. It's not just about you. It's about the whole church. That the community of believers is to be a living sacrifice to God, that there is a single collective sacrifice of obedience to God on behalf of a local assembly of believers. I mean, we're not playing out Stoic philosophy, which was very prevalent when Paul wrote Romans, that was all about you. We're not even, uh, you know, playing into our contemporary emphasis on individual fulfillment here. What we know to be true is the gospel, and if you don't know this as a believer, you need to learn it. The gospel transforms entire groups of people and their relationships with one another. And then what happens is the larger society of believers becomes less self-centered and more loving. And then that really spreads out into the world. What you've got is individual transformation going on in Christ and something bigger. Verse 5 in this very chapter said, We are one body in Christ and members one of another. So this is not just about individuals becoming more obedient to God. You've got to put the wide-angle lens on this, and it encompasses the church. The church is a new society of the transformed. Uh, we, you know what we're doing? We're functioning as a prototype of what human society will look like when Christ's restoration of the world is complete. Uh, we're reflecting future glory. And so it is, it is really no surprise 
that God calls us to love like we are called to love, especially in this passage. Because this is a picture of real Christianity. Now, if this doesn't match up to the picture of Christianity that you have in your mind, you have to hold the Bible up as a mirror to your own soul and make sure you match up with it. Don't try to change it to go with your mind. Okay, In verses 9 to 21, this is an amazing unit of Scripture. There are 30 exhortations. 30 exhortations, one by one. We've looked at almost all of them. Verse 9 started with this exhortation to sincere love and, and that love is not to be with hypocrisy. It's not to be fake, it's to be real. That you intensely hate evil as a believer and you tenaciously cling to what is good. In verses 10 through 13, we saw a picture of zealous love where in the church there is tenderhearted care for each other. There is enthusiastic service as we're serving God with our gifts and we have unwavering hope that cannot be extinguished and there is generous giving, there is hospitality being shown. We moved on to verses 14 to 16 and this picture of courageous love where we are merciful toward one another, where we are empathetic, that we actually rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep that we're harmonious, that we're humble, that we're not competing against one another, but we are complementing one, one another and working together. And then you come to verses 17 to 21. It was a picture of gracious love, that the gospel lived out gives a picture of gracious love, that there is no revenge. So if you came in here today and you said, I'm going to take revenge on someone, I got the whole plan you know, figured out, and tomorrow morning, when I get to the office, they're going to figure it out, or later this afternoon, I'm going to press send on an email I've had ready and roasting. You have to take that off the table if you're a Christian. You've got to throw that in the garbage disposal. You've got to put that out with the trash. You've got to burn that. Because this passage very clearly says, no revenge. None. Not, not one ounce of revenge. Revenge prohibited. You bust through that, you're on your own. You're going to see some key words in this passage. Repay, revenge, wrath, vengeance. But you also have to notice these other words. Peace, giving, and, and good. Because what shapes a believer the most and what shapes a church that's in harmony in a hostile world is the grace of God in Christ, the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. And so this is a picture of our new life lived out in the church and in the home and in the world. This is what it looks like to trust Jesus and worship God everywhere, every aspect of your life. And it's gonna hit us where it's really painful today. Gracious love is, is being evidenced in this passage really with four outcomes, okay? Uh, where you become this kind of person. It's the kind of people, this is what this passage is presenting to us, the kind of people that Jesus transforms yielded worshipers into. So as you're yielded to God, you're going along with verse one and you, you're worshiping God in all of your life, this is the kind of person you will become in Christ. And I'm going to give you, there's four of them, four outcomes. I'm going to give you all of them right now. The first is this. You'll be a thinker. Verse 17, you'll be a thinker. 
The second is you'll be a peacemaker, verse 18. The third is you'll be an enemy feeder, verses 19 and 20. And fourth, you'll be an overcomer. So Jesus transforms yielded worshipers into thinkers, peacemakers, enemy feeders, and overcomers. We'll go through one by one. We'll look at the first one now. Verse 17. Look at verse 17. Jesus transforms yielded worshipers into thinkers. It starts this way. Repay no one evil for evil. You can't do it. You can't do it and claim to follow Christ. But then it says this, give thought, think about it, give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. You see that? You're going to be thoughtful, not vengeful. You're not going to be unthinking or unreasoning or irreconcilable. You're going to have a reasoned response. Now, go with me to 1 Peter 3, because you see a model of that here. 1 Peter 3, verses 8 through 12. And it's based on what Jesus has done at the cross. And it says this, by the way, I'm not hearing pages rustling. I'm guessing you all have your electronic Bible with you. First hour, amen. First hour, I got both in front of me. First hour, no pages rustling, all electronic Bibles. Second hour, pages rustling all day long like wheat in a field, right, in the wind. Uh, Third hour, all electronic Bibles, okay? Now, I just heard a page rustling. But you're there with me, right? First Peter 3, beginning at verse 8, it says this, finally, all of you, Have unity of mind. You're thinking this way. Sympathy. Brotherly love. A tender heart. And a humble mind. A humble mind. Do not, and here it is again, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Well, someone chews you out, you don't get to chew them out back. Someone repays you evil, gives you evil, you're not supposed to repay them with it. Like, payback. Boomerang on you. You're not not supposed to do that. But on the contrary, you notice this word, on the contrary. This means the flip side, like the exact opposite of what you want to do. That your natural bent and inclination is to do this, but don't do it. Bless instead. For to this you were called. Now he's calling Christians to account. That you may obtain a blessing. And then he's going to quote Psalm 34. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. It sounds like this passage we're looking at today, doesn't it? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You don't want God as your opponent. We're to abstain from every appearance of evil. There is a standard that's been given to Christians. It's to, of holiness and purity. And 1 Peter 1 even says you should be holy like I am holy. That's what God says to believers. And that doesn't mean that you strain and you work so hard to try to make yourself look holy. It means that you trust the Holy Spirit and walk it by faith and, and obey the word of God and the strength God gives you and he will make you holy like he is. It's this process, you want to be a thinker, it's a process of you recognizing something. That you're going to consciously choose not to respond in like manner. And to do that, you have to rehearse the gospel to yourself. You've got to say, what did Jesus do at the cross, and how, does, how should that transform how I act right now? It's based on the gospel. Remember, Romans 12 is based on all of Romans chapters 1 through 11. Man's putrid sin and, and Jesus' perfect sacrifice. 
So you rehearse the gospel and you think, well, I was shown kindness. I was shown forbearance. Now our reflex response is to attack. We're, we go in mama bear mode really quick and here's what we do. We say, okay, swift and, and, and quick vengeance on all my adversaries. You like napalm them. You want to you wanna, you know, put fire on them. And we, you know what we do? We slap the evil label on the people really quickly. Well, they're evil. They deserve it. You know, 2 Peter 2.14 talks about those whose hearts are trained for evil. Don't be that person. Be like Hebrews 5.14 says. You have a heart trained for good. That's what a believer does. You've got to remember your identity as a believer. If you're a believer, if you're trusting in the finished work of Christ, if you believe that he died in your place on the cross, that he was your substitute at the cross, that he paid the penalty for your sins, and he was buried, and he rose from the dead, and he's coming again. If you believe in Christ crucified, risen, and coming again, then you've got to remember your identity in Christ. 1 Peter 5.9 says to the church, you are a chosen race. You're chosen by God. You are a royal priesthood. You, you have access to God. You're a holy nation. Your, your identity has been changed by God in the gospel. You are a people for God's own possession. Christ lives in you. He owns you. And it's all for this, that you would proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So don't go run back into the darkness. Walk in the light. Can you imagine a world of anarchy? It's not hard to imagine a world of anarchy where everyone just does whatever they think is right in their own mind. You know, pre-flood, pre-babble kind of world. That's an accurate portrayal of today's climate in our world. A lot of Christians operate that way. A lot of Christians, like, they never got a copy of the Bible. And they're just going, I'll do whatever I want, and I'll say whatever I want to whomever I want, because if they do me wrong, I'm sticking up for myself. You get relational blow-ups being played out in the public square all around us. You repeat that moment by moment in many of our uh, private relationships. Those get replicated. Oh, isn't it easy to, to return insult for insult and evil for evil? It, it's like a preset, a preset on our hearts, isn't it? This is, this is like, like our, our default reaction a lot of the times. We have to acknowledge what we know to be true. Bad behavior happens in the church and outside the church. Christians perpetrate evil against Christians Christians perpetrate evil against non-Christians. Non-Christians perpetrate evil against non-Christians. And non-Christians uh, perpetrate evil against Christians. It just happens all the time. This should remind us that this obligation of love is not just locked in on the church. Now, most Christians have enough trouble loving their fellow believers. But this is not just locked in on the church. We're not a private club. The church is never supposed to look like um, we only look after our own. 2 Corinthians 8.21 says, we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man, in the sight of all people. Galatians 6.10 says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those of the household of faith. Because Jesus said, they're going to know you, as a believer, by your love for other believers. So if you don't have love for other believers, you're not going to be known as a Christian. You won't be recognized. But love that grows under grace within church fellowship 
naturally outflows to those outside the fellowship too. We have to take thought. We have to be thinkers about what is honorable. Proverbs 20, verse 22 says, do not say. Now, whenever you see this in the Bible, why did it tell you not to say something? Because we say this. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. Proverbs 24, 29 says, do not say, because we say it, I will do him, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. Don't say that. We're to do no evil. We're to respect what is right. And it's going to take this. Careful thought in a complicated world. Actually, hold on. Careful thought in your complicated mind. I know how this goes. We have to just think about how we're thinking right now, right? Sure, it's a complicated world, but we have complicated minds. We're to be thinkers. How best can I do the right thing? How can I give a thoughtful reason to response? You see, first of all, Jesus makes the transformed worshiper a deep thinker who thinks biblically about everything and wants to please God. Move on to verse 18 with me. Second thing. So Jesus makes us thinkers, but he also makes us peacemakers. Now some of you want to check out at this point and go, I know Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah, they will be called sons of God. Uh, They will be recognized as believers. You need to listen up on this peacemaker part. A peacemaker is not an avoider. A lot of people will say, I'm going to avoid them, therefore everything's fine. No, it's not. To be a peacemaker, you have to be an engager. You have to be an initiator. There's conflict. uh, There's chaos. There's contention. There's confusion. And blessed are those who initiate. Blessed are those who engage in making peace where there is conflict and chaos and contention and confusion. Look at verse 18. If possible. Now a lot of people are like, oh, it's not possible. I know better. It's not possible. You don't know them. There's no way. They don't even get past if possible. See, it goes like this. If possible, so far as it depends on you. Got to listen to the rest of it. So far as it depends on you. So something's depending on you, right? You have to engage. You know how many people say, I tried once. Forget them. I'm not going to cast my... Pearls before swine, you know, we call people swine, (laughs) and then we go eat a pork chop. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Is this not realistic? Is this not practical for your life right now? If possible, because most of us don't try hard enough to make peace. And it is very possible to make peace. So far as it depends on you, so realistic. Sometimes it isn't possible to make peace. You try, and you try, and you try, and you try. You keep going back. Now, if you're the person that says, I tried once, I took a little baby step towards them when I tried once, you're being a baby. And babies are great, but not that kind of baby, okay? You're not a great baby. You're being a a big baby. Don't do that. Don't do that. Why? Because you're you're not obeying the word. As if possible, as far as it depends on you, you go, and you go, and you go. And here's when you stop going. When the wisest person you know says, you should stop. You should stop. You've tried and you've tried and you've tried. Not many of us get the wisest person we know telling us to stop trying to make peace. 
You've got conflict in your family. You've got conflict in the workplace. You've got conflict in the church. You've got conflict with your neighbors. And by the way, don't let any of that conflict be because of you. Let it be in spite of you. Verse 18, live peaceably with all. It doesn't mean you're never going to think differently. Everyone thinks differently. Being like-minded means you kind of yield your opinion sometimes. It's not the absence of conflict. It's not the absence of disagreement even. The Greek word for peace is erene, and it literally means the absence of strife. That's fighting, butting heads. Get my hands a bruise doing that. Uh, Fighting, butting heads, hostility, like I don't want to be around them. I'm going to avoid them. I don't like them. I'm going to talk behind their back. I'm going to pay them back. Okay, so the Greek word for peace literally means the complete banishment of strife and hostility. Well, there'll be conflict, there'll be disagreements, but we're talking strife and hostility that needs to be put away. In Hebrew, the, the, the word for peace is shalom. I, I always have uh, Dr. Rigsby, my Hebrew professor in seminary, I've got his voice you know, just ringing in my ears on this. We'd come into class and he'd be like, shalom, gentlemen. But he taught us something. He said, shalom is, is that deep, abiding sense of well-being because you know God is in charge. God is in control. You have this deep, abiding sense of well-being because of it. Romans 14, verse 19 says, let us pursue, chase it down, engage it, initiate it. Let us pursue the things that make for peace and the building up of one another. See, once you start having peace with people, you can actually build them up. But a lot of people say peace, peace, where there is no peace. They're, they're, they're content to you know, put a little band-aid over something with no medicine and it's festering, it's getting infected. David spoke of his adversaries. He said, I am for peace, they are for war. That's how a lot of people are. Robert Frost said, good fences make good neighbors. You got a good fence and you can be good neighbors with each other, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of places where there's no fence between the houses and people are good neighbors. But here's what a lot of Christians do. They put up the proverbial uh, invisible fence. And if you step over that invisible fence, you'll have hell to pay. You're going to be in so much trouble with me, you went beyond my uncommunicated expectation. You stepped over my invisible fence. You're on my bad side now. You transgressed. You didn't know about it, but you do now. In Ephesians 2.14, Jesus is spoken of as being our peace. That he himself is our peace. This should mean everything to the believer. Now it goes on, Ephesians 2.14, Jesus, you know, he himself is our peace who has broken down the dividing wall. Think of the, like the Berlin Wall coming down or something, right? The, 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 the dividing wall. It was a dividing wall even in the synagogue where people couldn't, the Jew and the Gentile couldn't be together, but he made the two one. He, div, he, he broke down the dividing wall. This is Jew and Gentile together in the church now. Who was more at odds but them? Jesus unites what sin divides. He's our peace. He breaks down walls. If you're a Christian today, it is your duty it is your responsibility 
and you will be held accountable, I will be held accountable for how we did things to make for peace, how we sought after peace, how we chased peace down, and how we were peacemakers. Ephesians 4.32, memorize that. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. The believer remembers how much they've been forgiven. The believer knows how much they were under the wrath of God. The believer knows how much mercy has been extended. The believer knows what grace has been given in Christ. So if you want to know, you know what it means to pursue peace, what it means to practice peace, you have to try much more than you do. Most of us don't try hard enough for peace. You have to try and try and try and try again. I don't know how many times I have heard believers say, I tried and they refused, so forget them. And sometimes there's just so much judgment and, and vitriol, almost like hatred towards fellow believers. I don't know how many times I've heard, well, you just don't understand. You don't know what they're like. Yes, I do, because I know what my heart's like. Who, who knows the depths of their heart more than you and God? You, you know your heart, and God knows your heart better. I know how many times I've prayed for God to change hearts, and they don't seem to change. But what I find most of the time is, I should have been praying for God to change my heart towards them. I'm serious. You don't have to cave in and buckle with regard to the truth to be tender-hearted towards those you're opposed to. We have to be much more merciful and gracious and understanding than we really are. I hope you can, I hope you can, you can hear some of the, the pastoral fervor that, with which Paul is, is, is speaking here. I hope you can feel mine. Uh, God calls for a love that tries and tries and tries and goes back. And even if someone porcupines you, you still go in for the relational hug. A lot of people are missing peace. This could be you. You, you might be coming in here today with this churning in your gut all the time because you're just always at odds with people. You, gotta, you, you want Maybe you want to break the cycle of constant turmoil, but you don't know where to start. And, and, you, and you just can't help yourself. But remember this. We serve and worship the God of peace. We, Romans 5.1 tells us, we in Christ have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have the peace of God. Jesus said this, I give you my peace. I'm leaving you with my peace. I'm giving you this. You know, praise God that the Prince of Peace took all of my sin, all the wrath that was against my sin, took every punishment for my sin in my place so I could enjoy peace with God. When you're thinking like that, you are very quick to make peace with other people. If you are a peacemaker, you'll be known as a risk taker. You'll reunite, you'll reunite people. Jesus makes us thinkers, and he makes us peacemakers. Now let's look at the third one, because this is the toughest one for us. 
He doesn't just make us peacemakers from a distance, but enemy feeders. Enemy feeders. A lot of us are like, can I just get a long pole and just kind of like put it through their, their window with a little meal on the end? And can, we, can I just like not be around them because I don't like them, but I'll give them some food? It'll have a little poison in it, but you know, hey, a little poison didn't hurt anybody, right? No, seriously, it's like we're to be enemy feeders. Look at verses 19 and 20. We'll look at verse 19 first. Jesus makes us enemy feeders. When we're yielded worshipers, we, we are an enemy feeder. Beloved, and I think there's a reason why it starts with beloved. Like, remember who you are in Christ? You're beloved of God. You're chosen in Christ. You, your identity's been changed. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. You can't. But leave it to the wrath of God. You must. For it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Like here's God's wrath and man's revenge. Don't try to do God's job for him. There's presumption in that. There's pride in that. I mean, left and right, do we not see mankind taking matters into their own hands? We see Christians doing the same thing. I was just reading this week of a recent uh, sentencing of, of someone who murdered someone. And a family member repeated the oft-heard curse. I hope you burn in hell. That's what they said. This person's going away for life. Maybe he's under the death sentence. And all they're thinking of is burn in hell. Like, does, it not, does that not make you sad for the person? I get it. They're going through a lot of pain. But they're held captive by their own hatred. I mean, revenge narratives abound. I mean, they're in literature, they're in the movies, they're all over the place. I mean, Hamlet, uh, you've got the Wrath of Khan, you've got Mean Girls, you've got the Avengers. I mean, they're avenging things. But you've got True Grit, too. It's probably my favorite. True Grit. The movie True Grit. You've got Maddie Ross, 14-year-old, who says, I'm going to avenge my father's murder. And um, for her, it was... Uh, the only legitimate course of action. And, and here's one of the lines from the movie. Uh, please, people do not give credence that a 14-year-old girl could leave home and go off in the wintertime to avenge her father's blood, but it didn't seem so strange then, although I will say it didn't happen every day. And then looking at her dead father's body in the coffin, she says, I said, that is my father. And I stood there looking at him, what a waste. Tom Cheney will pay for this. I will not rest easy until he is roasting and screaming in hell. So in this movie, you got Rooster Cogburn in it for the money. You got Labeef in it for the law. But Matty Ross, all about revenge. Have you ever been all out for revenge? You know what that feels like? You just can't wait to get revenge? We all know what it feels like. But have you ever gotten revenge? Have you ever actually gotten the revenge you sought? Not so sweet, huh? It's kind of evil, kind of nasty, kind of ugly. Verse, five, verse 19 is giving us the reason for not taking the law into our own hands. You're mistreated. Someone does you wrong. Someone persecutes you. Someone does evil towards you. It's telling us, leave room for the wrath of God. And not, you know, not like Jonah, where you get up on a hill under a little tree and go, Fry him, God. And they, they repented, by the way. They got restored. He's like, whoa, not fair. 
leave room for the wrath of God. If we take revenge, we're trying to do God's job. And we'll always get it wrong. Whenever we do this, we'll always get it wrong. Our anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. Our anger is tainted with selfishness, and we usually hit back too hard or at the wrong person. So Paul is quoting Moses' song in Deuteronomy 32, and and it's part of the song. God is saying, I'm going to right every wrong. I'm going to put things right. I'm going to deal with my enemies. He says, it's my job to repay. It's my job to avenge. You know, justice is my prerogative. And don't take the law into your own hands. God's going to do it. He's going to get it right. So verse 20, to the contrary. Exactly the opposite of what you really want to do. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Because then you're going to heap burning coals on their head. And you're like, forget the food and drink. Let's go with the coals. Let's do the coal. I want to see the coals. No. Kill them with contrasting kindness. Give them food and drink or whatever they need. Whatever the benefit to them might be. Now, Psalm 23 was also a, a passage of scripture that I memorized right away as a new believer. And there's a line in there. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I always pictured that as me sitting at a nice banquet table with a big feast in front of me and my enemies within earshot and sight going, how come he gets all that and we don't? It's like, hey, you're, you're the enemy. Stay over there. And I get the big feast. But here you have in Psalm 23, God, the shepherd that provides, right? And he's throwing a radical thought in really about eating with enemies, I mean, for you, if, if the idea of, of sitting down with your enemy might be appalling, might be appealing. You might, might you know, hey, you know, uh, can we get some poison in there? But think about the person who's done you wrong. Think about the person that has done you evil. Now, when you're there and you're thinking about that, and you've got a name and a place and a situation, overcoming evil with good is, is just so much easier said than done. Let's acknowledge that. There's a lot of pain in this world. Well, let's talk about the burning coals, shall we? The burning coals. Now, you look in the Bible, we don't get a lot of burning, burning coal stuff, okay? Uh, there are a couple places, but it's not the same thing. In Isaiah 6, you've got a burning coal being touched to his lips. That's about purification from sin. Burning in the Bible is also a sign of judgment. Uh, you got the fire and brimstone, right? you got the second Peter burning up with intense heat stuff. But what you've got here is a quote from Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 and 22, that says, you know, feed your enemy, give him something to drink. And you're like, why? I'm not sure why. But then you got the burning coals, but you know a couple things. This is not doing a good thing from a bad motive. This is not making things worse for them in judgment. And then... You don't have any other metaphorical use of the burning coals in the New Testament or the Old Testament. So you're kind of like, how am I going to figure this out? Paul didn't even change the metaphor. It still stands. And so here's what it probably means. It means that the person that you do good to, that did evil, is going to be ashamed of themselves and embarrassed and hopefully change their ways. This is what Jesus taught It's what Paul modeled in the book of Acts. The burning coals on their head is where they'd be ashamed of their sin when they see the good that you do to them. 
when they experienced the good you do to them. In those days, there was an ancient Egyptian custom where if you wanted to demonstrate your public contrition, when you wanted to say, I'm really sorry for what I've done, you would actually carry on your head a pan full of burning coals to represent the pain and the shame and the guilt of your sin. When you love your enemy and genuinely seek to meet his needs, he hopefully will feel ashamed for his hatred. Abraham Lincoln, the day he was shot, he was at a cabinet meeting shortly before he went to the theater. And here's what he said. Enough lives have been sacrificed. We must extinguish our resentments if we expect harmony and union. Get that? We must extinguish our resentments if we expect harmony and union. We're talking grace, not revenge. When it was announced the Civil War was over, General Lee asked for the terms of surrender, and General Grant hurriedly wrote something out. And here's what he wrote. All officers and the men will be pardoned. They will be sent home with their private property. Most importantly, we will send them home with their horses because they need those horses for the late spring planting of their crops. They're going to keep their sidearms and and Lee's starving men will be given rations and food for the trip home. At the time that he he was doing this, there was a band that began to play celebrating uh, the victory and General Grant told his officers, the war is over. The rebels are our countrymen again. Don't celebrate. You have to let go of your personal war with other people. If you're a believer in Jesus, you have to let go of your personal war with other people. We're not perfect judges. We are prejudicial judges, and we get it wrong. But we have to know that evil will be avenged in God's timing and his economy. I think of Paul, 2 Timothy 4, verse 14, speaks of Alexander the coppersmith, who did him great harm. So there's a man getting called out for all eternity in the the word of God, and, and he did Paul great harm. And here's what he said about him. He didn't say, I'm going to get him back. Let's set an ambush. What he said was, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. He's like, I'm going to let it go. That's what you have to do. You have to abandon all animosity towards anyone. Like a wise man told me once, put a period on your heartaches. Just put a period on your heartaches. This is kind of about the reality of how life works, isn't it? We're to to follow an unnatural path, regardless of where our hearts are landing, regardless of what the culture says we should do, regardless of your normal operating procedures. Those have to change if they don't fall in line with the word of God. I mean, Jesus makes us thinkers, reasoned thinkers, and Jesus makes us peacemakers, and Jesus makes us enemy feeders. And I'll tell you, the punchline is in verse 21. Paul's been angling to this the whole time. Fourth, verse 21, Jesus makes us overcomers. That's from a Greek word where we get our word Nike. It, it literally means to conquer. It means victory. Verse 21 says, do not be overcome by evil. Don't be conquered by evil, but overcome evil with good. Conquer evil with good. That word good means proper, beautiful, Morally good, valuable, virtuous, do what is right. This admonition has two applications. Number one, don't allow evil done to you by other people to overcome and overwhelm you. And number two, do not allow yourself to be overcome by your own evil responses. 
Our evil responses are more detrimental to us than the evil done to us by others. Evil must be overcome, but good is the only defense. Overcome with good rather than evil. To do that, you're going to have to pause. Just press pause and think it through. Do something in a healthy way. Process it. Don't stew over it. Don't let it foment and fester. Just ask, what is the reasonable and godly thing for me to do? And you need to consider letting it go. Forbearance is the idea where you say, I'm not going to make this an issue. I'm just going to let it run off my, my back like water. I'm going to forbear or I'm going to forgive. And you know what's interesting? When you decide to forbear and don't say a thing about it, or if you decide to deal with it with them and forgive, you have to process that with like, like shampoo, uh, lather, rinse, repeat. Because what's going to happen? It's happened to me tons of times where I say, I'm just going to let that go. And then I go home and think about it. I'm like, well, I don't know if I want to let it go. I think I might want to you know, follow this up. Right? It comes right back to you. And you have to go, no, I'm going to forbear. No, I'm going to forgive. I said I forgave. i got to keep applying that to my heart. Remember, remember forgiveness. And the other thing is don't make it personal. Every one of us likes to make things personal. There's a big range of sensitivity and insensitivity there, right? Some people, oh, I have thick skin, nothing bugs me. Others, oh, everything hurts me. Well, guess what? Some people are angry nonetheless. Some people are vengeful nonetheless. Doesn't matter which side of the spectrum you're on. True tolerance is where in the church and in the world we are tender-hearted. But the problem is some people have a really short fuse. We should be asking Jesus for a longer fuse. To not take offense. To remember what Jesus did for every Christian. To remember that Micah 7.19 says that in the, our sins have been cast into the deepest sea. To remember that Psalm 103 says that as far as the east is from the west, so far has our, have our sins been removed from us. This is where Paul has been angling, this whole idea of not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. If you're a Christian, evil can't overcome you by doing you harm, or even if it kills you. Evil only overcome, overcomes you if you become evil. It's like in the Lord of the Rings, Boromir discovered the evil ring of power could not be used to wage war against the Dark Lord. Evil can't be overcome by a stronger force of evil. And so a, a group of believers is being shaped by the grace of God and doing good to all. The most ferocious evil cannot overcome that, cannot have victory over that. So we got to learn these lessons, right? Like our perception isn't always accurate. We don't always read it right. We've got to get into the word of God. We, we can't let our, our feelings be the arbiter. We've got to let the bullseye of the absolute truth of the word of God be the arbiter. And, and, we, and we can't listen to Satan's lies. Like, hey, put up your guard and don't let anyone hurt you. Well, Jesus says, drop your guard. Be a peacemaker. Satan says, oh, you deserve to be happy. Satan will even say, you deserve to be treated very badly. But Jesus says, you're beloved. I'm your protector. And they may persecute me like, they may persecute you like they persecuted me. Satan will say, did God really say that? And Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We have to do good. Gracious love without revenge wins the day. Second uh, Peter 2.19 says this, Whatever a man is overcome by, to that he is enslaved. Don't be overcome by evil. You'll be enslaved to it. 
Be overcome by Jesus. You're a slave to Christ, Christians. I mean, the world without any sort of order is not going to be able to see the glory of God very clearly, very accurately. But here's what believers are to do. They're to display. We are to display the glory of God in the gospel to a needy world that they would see his beauty. Um, this is why we have to live real Christianity, honest Christianity, marked by gracious love, marked by gracious love, the kind of people Jesus transforms into, into uh, thinkers and peacemakers and enemy feeders and overcomers, where you think it through, where you, you invest your brain power and your heart in it, where you go the extra mile and you don't force peace but don't ignore the need for it, where you're an enemy feeder, where you give people the appropriate goodies they, they need that they don't deserve, where, where you're an overcomer, where you don't get conquered by evil, but you conquer it. And, and I'll just say this as we close. You know, Jesus is all of that to us. Jesus is our thinker. We have the mind of Christ. We have the word of God that renews our minds. He is the humble and gentle one that tenderizes our hearts, that we would think on what is good, he is our peacemaker. We have peace with God through Jesus. He himself is our peace. He has fed us with mercy and with grace. And, and he's our overcomer. He conquered sin and death at the cross. So we should never pay anyone back evil for evil. We are not to be overcome by evil, but overcome it with good. Defeat evil with good, just like Jesus did. Victory only comes to the one who is truly good. Let's close by looking at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. Because I want to tell you, those who follow Christ, follow the one that didn't retaliate when he was insulted, didn't threaten when he was suffering. He entrusted himself to God. Look at 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd, literally the pastor and overseer, literally the elder of your souls. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus took our sin. He identified fully with us so we could identify fully with him. He made evil work for good. Amen? Let's pray now. Lord, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you, Lord, that you turned the tide at Bethlehem and at the cross and the empty tomb. You killed death. You freed captives. You unchained prisoners. You're still doing it today by the power of, of, of the word and the gospel. And thank you, Lord, that every believer does not have any condemnation, that we are free in you. And may we freely choose by your spirit in your strength to do what pleases you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Grace, please visit our website at graceorange.org.